Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Greetings, beloved, and welcome again to our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. My dear friend, it's so great to see you this morning. I know life is crazy, but uh, your face always brings me great joy. How are you doing? Well, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to journey in a dark world with people who function like David said he had his Jonathan. And, you know, Moses had his Aaron to lift up his arms. And um, that's what we need. We need uh, compadres. We need friends. We need uh, uh, partners. We need uh, those who will comfort and encourage. And I thank God that that's what you are, John, and that we're able to comfort and encourage each other. And I hope through a podcast like this, we will be able together to comfort and encourage others who are in the trenches of a fallen world. Oh my goodness, the trenches, what a, what a word picture. Yes, indeed. Life can be the trenches, but Jesus is always awesome, isn't it? Yes, sir. So we are going to change gears a little bit today, my friend. Last few podcasts, we talked about fear. We had a great time. I, I learned a lot about myself and about you and about our circumstances. We're going to pick up a different topic beginning today, and eventually I want to take us to a discussion of law and grace. Okay. But I don't want to begin where everybody else begins. As a scientist, I have to go back to the very beginning. So we're going to focus on the root of what I believe to be law and grace. That is the relationship, the fundamental relationship between God and man. And we're going to unpack that going back to Genesis. But I want to begin with another contemporary flash topic. It's conflict. Mm. Conflict, my friend, is everywhere, always has been, always will be, always will be. But, you know, because of our current news climate, man, I am just bombarded with it. Every place I look, there is conflict. So as we approach law and grace, we're not going to resolve conflict. We're not going to try to show who's right or wrong. We're not going to champion a position. I want to spend at least this first session considering the source of conflict. Where did it begin? What's its source? How does God view it? And what's really the solution? So Frank, you spent decades as a pastor. How do you see conflict among Christians and in the church today? Wow, that's a, that's a huge topic, John. And, uh, you know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, you're mentioning conflict, conflict. And I thought to myself, what is conflict? Well, how do we define it? And I think I might quickly define it without looking at a definition in a dictionary, but just from experience, uh, the absence of harmony, uh, the absence of peace, uh, maybe the absence of trust uh, between us, and therefore the promotion of self-protection and self-exaltation. 
that when everybody's functioning that way, um, there's going to be conflict. Um, yeah, there's, it's fascinating. There's a, actually a verse in the New Testament that says there must be conflict among you. Isn't that fascinating? So God is saying, you know, ever since you mentioned Genesis, John, ever since that decision that Adam and Eve made, God now says there's going to be conflict and division. That's an amazing declaration on the part of God. And so I think that maybe where we're going is to look at that, why that's so today, and then see what his answer is for us uh, personally, and then hopefully relationally. So, and again, that that has not happened in the church uh, because the church has not uh, understood completely, I believe, and I'm not throwing stones or trying to be arrogant, but if we don't understand the problem, and if we don't understand the solution, then we're really just kind of treading water. And I think that's what's happened in the church. We kind of tread water and fail to tap into the remedy that God has provided for the disaster that came upon all of humanity. Indeed, as you're talking, um, my thought goes back to a conversation we had many years ago. We asked each other this question. Do you want to be, be peacekeepers or peacemakers? And of course, mm. the answer is obvious. We want to be peacemakers. But in order to be a peacemaker, you have to know, you have to understand where conflict comes from, why it's there. You know, Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In other words, Frank, I'm right, even if everyone else in the world disagrees with me. And, you know, yeah. I have the answer. I know what the problem is. I have the answer. I'm right, and you're wrong. And my goodness, my friend, that's almost all I hear anymore. I'm yeah. right, and you're wrong. Take that and multiply it by 7.8 billion people. <laughs> if we all share that same attitude, my goodness, we are going to be a scrambled mess. You know, what was true in Judges uh, is so true today. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so we are going mm. 7.8 billion different directions. It's uh, unbelievable. But, you know, there's conflict. There's overt conflict. Uh, we see it. Just watch the news. But there's lots of ways that this conflict, this I'm right and you're wrong attitude permeates even subtle areas of our life when things don't turn out the way we desire. And my wife, Terry, and I were planning a trip to Montana. Now, because of the virus, we're going to put that on hold. Things don't turn out the way we desire. When people, and this is a big one, when people fail to meet our expectations, you know, we just get mad. We reject, yeah. we condemn, and it results in division. Uh, as a marriage counselor, you've seen this in marriage and frankly in every interpersonal relationship. This I'm right, you're wrong attitude, these unmet expectations turn into resentment, manipulation, control, and uh, multiply that seven billion times and you've got our everyday world, don't you? Yes, sir. And you know, John, you mentioned Genesis. I, uh, people will ask me, Frank, do you really believe the Adam and Eve story? You know, eating the fruit, the two trees. And I, I answer them this way. I say, I used to believe it. 
and they look at me kind of quizzically because I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I'm trying to get their mind. And then I say, I tenaciously believe it today because it answers so many questions it, it, in terms of why we're in this dilemma. And I find myself constantly going to Genesis. I don't believe that the church does that. Uh, we keep presenting Jesus as the answer, but we're not understanding the question. Uh, he's the solution, but we've got to understand the problem first. And I don't think we realize how blitzed humanity was or is because of what happened in that garden. I think you're right. I truly think you're right. And we're going to talk about the blitz and hopefully we'll get through it today, but it may take a few because there is so much to discuss. But before we talk about the blitz, my friend, I want to talk about the way things were before the blitz, because that is the fundamental relationship between God and mankind. I go back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. As a scientist, I like the first parts of Genesis. And uh, I read the accounts during the creation week. Every day, God looked at what he did and said, you know, it's good. Hmm. But when he got to the end of day six, when people were created, he changed his tune. He said, you know, it's very good. In hmm. other words, it is exceedingly good. It's extremely good. It's almost like the first man and the first woman, his image bearers, his likeness bearers, they were the icing on the cake, the most important and remarkable feature of his creation. We were indeed created in a special way to enjoy a special intimate relationship with our God, weren't we? Boy, and that is so big, John, because in the enjoying of a special relationship with God, and just, just ponder that. Uh, we, we can't speak too quickly. We have to think. Uh, we get to tap into who God is. Then we can give what we have. You can't give what you don't have. It's a universal law. We can then give God interpersonally, relationally to others. And so when we look at the Garden of Eden, like you just said, very good. I think some other thoughts there. Uh, for example, he breathed life into them. No other aspect of creation is recorded as having that happen to them. We are the experiencers and expressors of God. We look at Adam's choice of words that the Holy Spirit later put in Genesis. Adam is ish. That's the Hebrew word. My Lord is how that translates. When he created the woman, Adam looked at her and called her woman. He said, Isha. So we look at this couple. They are Ish and Isha, my Lord and my lady. And I can't help but think of go to Psalm 8. Original man in his original creation was crowned with majesty honor, glory, and dignity. And so that's how they lived. And you know, John, we don't ever want to argue from silence, but when you read those first couple chapters of Genesis, it, it screams at us, the silence. 
there's zero conflict. And you and I have no context in our world for any semblance of understanding into that. A man and a woman with no control issues, no manipulation issues, uh, no how dare you issues. When I look at those pages of Genesis, I almost want to hear that music in the background, you know, dee, 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 you know, the twilight zone, <laughs> you know, you've just entered the outer limits because it's so foreign to what we have today. Indeed it is. And, uh, you know, thinking about the Lord and the lady, we can spend a while talking about this, Frank, but, uh, but then being created in the image of the likeness of God to have so many of God's attributes to to worship, to think creatively, the artistic representation of God. And then he was their image bearers. They were his image bearers. They walked the earth and represented Father on the planet. Just an amazing picture. And I think this is so cool because they lived in a world of good. And I know we're going to get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in just a moment. But good... It's interesting, God was the first word, the first uh, person to use the word good. And good was not some vague relative concept of what was comfortable for me or convenient or empowering, how we like to define it today. They lived in a world that was good. It was good was absolute, it was defined, it was demonstrated. They can walk around and good was evident all around them. It was visible, they could touch it, they could feel it, they could taste it, they could measure it. And so everything God created, functioning in the manner he intended, was good. And so that's the world they lived in. Man, I am so jealous. I can't wait to get home, actually, because I finally get to live in a place where everything is as God intended it to be. Wow. Yes, that's it's amazing. You know, I was doing some word study a couple of months ago, and I was looking up the word good. And it's an old English word, got. And got literally was derivative from God. So they, when God said it was very good, in essence, he was saying it was very God. Um, the whole world, the creation, you and I, and that the original design, were, I would put it this way, we were living in the sphere of God breathing God, uh, inhaling God, exhaling God. It was all we knew was God. And therefore, all we knew was good. And I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around what that must have been like. But into that garden, he put a choice, didn't he? Put a tree. Oh my goodness. In the tree, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's interesting because the whole week, I look back at this as I was preparing for this podcast, the whole week of creation, all he does is just lay out good. Mm. He demonstrates good to his people, but now he puts a choice, good and evil. And he didn't define evil, Frank. No. He just said, here's the choice right here. This is good. This is everything you have right now. And this is something else. So it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to consider. Why did he do that, do you think? Boy, that's a huge question, John. I think that's a question man has been asking ever since the fall. 
And, you know, as I've meditated on it, I see two main issues there. One is we know from later in the Old Testament that Satan had already fallen from goodness into sin. Sin was found in him. And we don't know where it came from. God doesn't tell us. So I think he was warning man uh, that there is this thing out there. It is not of me. And so it's going to come knocking. And so it's that old uh, adage, forewarned is forearmed. Uh, it's coming, son. Don't do it. So I think that's one aspect of it. Uh, the second, though, and this is interesting, and I've meditated on this a lot. It, it was really an issue of love. And, and let me just give a quick explanation. For there to be love, there has to be three things. There has to be a lover. There has to be the spirit of love that's given. And there has to be the object of love, the beloved, who receives the love and then returns the love back to the original lover. And so God loves man, extends that spirit of love to the object man. Man receives the love. But how does he love God back? That's the key question. Well, I think there had to be a prohibition. There had to be something to say no to in order to demonstrate the love. No, God, I love you. I, I don't love that tree or what that tree can bring me. I love you. And so I think that was another aspect of it. And then maybe a third is that by living in all of God, breathing God, as we've talked about, anything other than God is going to bring death. And so it's very important to understand, God wasn't threatening those two kids. I'm going to kill you if you eat that tree. That's not what was happening. God was saying, please don't eat because I am life. And if you choose anything other than me, you'll be choosing death. You'll be choosing unlove. And the conflict and division is coming in. So that's kind of what I've thought as I've meditated on it over the years. You know, he, uh, he lays out the choice and said, this is God and this is not God. Mm -hmm. Sounds like uh, later in the uh, New Testament where we are told that uh, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Mm. Uh, it's, it's like you know, there's only one true path. And even though everything else looks attractive, everything else might look appealing to us. And, and indeed, we see that uh, in a few verses when we get to uh, where Eve is interfacing with, uh, with the serpent. The temptation is there. So with that, while they had good laid out for them perfectly, the temptation was put out. And interesting that uh, she says it was good for food, but so were all the others, Frank. There's really nothing mm -hmm. special about that. It was pleasant to the eyes, but you know, they lived in a garden. So, so was everything else. But here's, I think, where the hook came in. It was desirable to make one wise. And I think the tempter spun it so that God's holding out on that. There's just one more little step, this last one, and it'll make you just like God. Literally, Elohim ones. Wow. And so the uh, he found, he found a, a stream um, Malcolm Smith calls it envy that they might have had with God. They wanted something more, even though they had everything that God wanted to give them. 
And of course, we know what happens when they made that choice, don't we, Frank? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's interesting that you quoted that Elohim, John, because that means mighty God. And in that word is the idea of strong as well. And so he really called, he did two things. He called the goodness of God into question, as you pointed out. God's holding out on you. You know, he's really not giving you all. And then the second thing was kind of, you know, you can be strong by yourself. You can be wise by yourself. You don't have to demean yourself any longer by having to depend on someone other than yourself. So it was really a twofold punch. Uh, God's holding out on you. And by the way, you can be your own God. You can be your own strength. You can be your own wisdom. And then you won't need anybody but yourself. And they bought it. They bought it and they became as sheep who have gone astray. Their eyes were opened and now they could distinguish between good and evil, but not from a God perspective because they were unequipped at creation to distinguish between good and evil. They, uh, God defines straight for them. And if you think about how many ways a stick can be straight, it's only one. How many ways a stick can be bent? It's countless ways, but they began to focus on their bentness, what was wrong with them. And it's kind of interesting. The very first evidence of this goes back to uh, what they were wearing. You remember back in Genesis chapter two, they were naked and not ashamed. That's an odd thing to stick in Genesis two. They were naked and not ashamed and not, a, not another comment right there until a few verses later. When they look down and they see their nakedness and they say, ah, we're shameful. And so they sow fig leaves to cover themselves. So the very first evidence of how this changed their dynamic between themselves and changed the foundation of their relationship with God was that they disregarded God's perspective. They disregarded everything he did for them to create him in his image and likeness. They threw him out of their consideration of right and wrong. So basically, they were their own little gods, but unfortunately, they were unequipped at creation to distinguish between right and wrong. And my goodness, Frank, that has impacted us today tremendously. It's what leads us or will lead us into our discussion of law and grace, but I wanted to really get to this today because it shows where it all came from, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. If, if we can maybe unpack that a little, John. Um, it's it's like a, a compass that has a true north. And our true north in the garden was God. And God says, good. In fact, God says when he looks at man, very good. But then man eats, he loses his true north. He now becomes his own north. And as you said, he's separated from the source of good. So now he determines what's good. And not having the resources, it calls his decision into doubt. He self-doubts. He says, well, this is good, uh, but I don't really have confirmation that it's good. And now somebody else has eaten called Eve. So she might determine that my goodness is not good. 
because it's only good according to her thought of goodness. And so now my compass begins to point to so many different places in a vain and desperate search to find a good that can stand the scrutiny of the human eye that is separated from God. Oh my goodness. So he, his equation now is who I think I am plus how I perform plus who you think I am plus how I perform determines who I am. But boy, that is a fluctuating, constantly moving uh, needle on a compass. And that's why there's no rest, no peace, no anxiety, full of anxiety, because you can never arrive at a true north that would say, I'm okay once and for all. And boy, that, that, as I just meditate on that, that's, this is what we got birthed into. Yes. And it's so very, very sad yeah, for it, all of humanity. It explains so much of this conflict in our lives, the conflict in our world. It all goes back to our decision to eat of that tree and more specifically to determine in our own ability what is right and what is wrong. And you see that same conflict played out every day, billions of times all over the world. And man, it goes downhill quickly from there. Fast forward, Cain murders Abel. And by the time you get to Genesis 6, you know, this verse, this is one of the scariest verses in scripture to me, Frank. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness, wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, and this is the part that gets me, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, that mm. must have been a pretty precipitous slide from the first man and the first woman all the way down a few chapters to Genesis 6, where there was only evil. My goodness, no wonder we need a Savior. This sets the stage for Jesus, who is grace personified, doesn't it? Yes, John. And I think we need to unpack that a little, um, because this is so important. It's not just the tree of evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So man now eating from that tree produces his own goodness. It's a self-generated goodness instead of the goodness of God expressed through him. And so man now sitting on the throne of his own existence, he'll do good, but the good comes wrapped up in evil. And you say, well, Frank, what do you mean by that? Let me explain it. Let me just give a real simple illustration. A guy brings his wife flowers. Boy, what does the world say? What a great guy. What does the wife say? Boy, I've got the best husband. What does God say? Here's the interesting thing. God, he says in the Bible, looks at the intent. He looks at the heart. He looks at the motive. And so God would say to that man that gave those flowers, why did you do it? Now, the man might say, I did it because I love her. And God would say, great, 
uh, that's about 60% of your motive. What? Yeah, there's other motives in there. What are they? Oh, well, uh, I want her to love me back. Oh, so you're manipulating. See? Um, well, you know, we haven't had intimate relations for, oh, so you're trying to control. Uh, you see, this is what happens. Even our good is, is wrought with a selfish desire, manipulation, control, because man independent of God is needy and has to get his needs met, and he will do so at the expense of other people. Welcome to our world. Welcome to the world. Even those of us who know Christ as life wrestle with this. And uh, I look forward to our coming podcast, my friend, because we're going to trust the Spirit to unpack some of these truths uh, for our listeners and practically for us, because I wrestle as well. But I look forward to uh, the eventual coming of Jesus, who, <laughs> who will restore this world. But right now, uh, you know, he promised joy. He promised peace. He promised abundant life. He promised rest. He promised truth that brings freedom. And we have that right now. So in this chaos, there is hope. There is a person of grace, the person of Jesus, who can be all of those things to us in what sometimes is a nightmare of a world. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I wouldn't want to leave our listeners hanging. We have been given new hearts. We have been made right. The problem is there's this thing called indwelling sin that is in us, but it's not us. It's like a splinter. It's in us and it festers in it, uh, but it's not us. And so that's what our problem is. Our problem is no longer ourselves, but it's indwelling sin. And it's the enemy who tempts us in a world system that tries to call us away from the God who lives inside of us, who promises to be all that he is to all that we need in the moment of faith. And he's the enemy and all that is against us, trying to take us from faith. So we're okay in Christ. I just want to make sure people understand that. Oh, indeed. Our listeners uh, uh, need to understand that. And this is going to be such a fun podcast, my friend. Uh, this message is kind of the heart, the core of what, uh, what Father has led us to do here at Our Resolute Hope. So my dear listeners, we hope you'll stay with us in the uh, coming weeks. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Again, this is John Russon and uh, our dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, encouraging you to walk close. And when you feel like you want to control somebody, you get angry, upset, or mad, or think you're right, give it up and lean in closer. And ask Father to check your heart. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram under Our Resolute Hope. And check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.